Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. so great to see everyone this morning. Thank you so much for being here. It's a great day to be at First Baptist Church Barberville as we celebrate. Got a spider web right here. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Apologize for that. And uh, this, uh, this weekend's been a fun weekend. Of course, the Daniel Boone Festival is here. It's, it's taking over uh, Barberville for this, this week. And um, it'll be a lot of fun. But also, as we talked about in Brotherhood, A great opportunity, not only to reach a few people and to be out in our community, but an opportunity where the nations literally have come to our backyard, people from all over the world right here in Barberville this week, and an opportunity to witness to them and and just share the love of God with them. And uh, we'll be doing that in several ways this week, as you'll hear about here shortly. Um, But my family had a a wonderful time this weekend doing an an old-fashioned uh, stir off. How many knows what a stir off is? Wow, quite a few folks know what a stir off is. So we got together and we made molasses, and uh, it's been something we've been working on since about mid June, uh, putting a seed in the ground and, and trying to cultivate it and get it to the point where we could harvest it this weekend and make those delicious molasses. Those are not our molasses, those are store bought that he's holding up. But uh, the process, we were standing there, and if you're not familiar with this, I want to share the process with you because it's such a fascinating process that you go through to get a jar of molasses. And so you take this plant that grows up 12, 15 feet tall, looks a lot like corn, and it's got a big old stalk, but the stalk is absolutely full of this delicious green juice. I mean, it's sweet as it can be. And you cut this down and you run it all through a mill and you get all the juice out of it. And then you take all of this green, nasty looking juice and you boil it down. You've got to boil off about 90% of this juice. Get all the water out of it. And what's left is beautiful, delicious molasses. And as you go through this process with the fire under it and it's just rolling, I mean for hours and hours and hours, it boils up all the impurities. And so all day long, somebody has to be there scooping off all this nastiness and getting rid of all the junk. So you end up with a wonderful, delicious jar of molasses. And as I thought about this whole process and we were standing there yesterday, sweating and steam rolling everywhere, I thought, you know what? We are a lot like these molasses. And James is really taking us through this same process. I don't know about you, but I'm glad we're through the first chapter of James and getting into chapter 2 this morning. But James is, is, is kind of putting the fire under us and getting rid of some of the junk, I hope, because it, it's stirring a lot of stuff up. For, so listen, a lot of people after church tell me, Pastor, you, you're preaching to me. Why are you preaching to me? Understand... James has preached to me already throughout the week every day, and and I've been trying to lick my wounds long before Sunday ever rose around. So we're in this together, okay? This morning we're going to be in James chapter 2, talking about mercy triumphing over judgment. And and James, once again, is going to light a fire under us, and he's going to challenge us this morning. And let's read the first 13 verses 
together. There's going to be a lot of junk that needs to come out this morning. James says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. I could stop there. I mean, my goodness. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, did not God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, help us with this passage. We often read this passage, this, this, this set of verses here in James, and it's very easy to read our own church experience or our context into the text. And when James is talking about people coming into a meeting, he, he, he clearly is talking about a group of believers, whether that's a worship service or it's a, a, a church court, if you will. But remember, James was, was very Jewish, again, in writing to folks from a Jewish background. And, and it's, again, so easy to put our understanding on top of what James or the authors of Scripture are trying to say. So it was definitely an issue for James in, in James's day for people who were wealthy or prominent or powerful or influential to get a better treatment or even greater respect than those of a lower social status. Fortunately, things have changed in 2,000 years, haven't they? Fortunately, that problem has never entered into the church. No, unfortunately, it's still a problem that is present in our society. It still infects the church. And so for that reason, James will give us four commands this morning to avoid such pitfalls. Now, listen, I've, I'm a very practical thinker, and these points are not rocket science this morning. The first one's very simple. Don't show favoritism. Verses one through four. Simple, right? I love that James, though, let's just back up for a minute and look at what he's saying. I love that James, the half-brother of Jesus, the former unbeliever of Jesus as the Messiah, begins by saying, our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. To you other believers, in our, our glorious Lord, he had a radical transformation like we talked about a few weeks ago, didn't he? 
He says, do not show favoritism. And what James is doing is he's actually reaching far back, deep into the law of Moses, actually into the heart of the book of Leviticus, which says, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And what James is saying is that we believers, we followers of Christ, we can't act this way. We can't practice this. And living for Jesus is incompatible. This attitude uh, of, of favoritism or degrading someone or even putting someone at a disadvantage because of who they are and who you think you are and their status in life and your status in life, it's incompatible with following Jesus. And to illustrate this point, James uses a hypothetical situation, very likely one that he had seen. He says, Imagine if two people, two different people come into your meeting or into your worship service and the language he uses here indicates it's probably a meeting of the church. He says, what if two come in, one's obviously well-to-do, well-dressed, one's obviously not well-to-do, dressed pretty rough. He says, if you cater to the rich man and you treat the poor man worse, the, the CSB version says you've made distinctions. The NIV says you have discriminated. The original Greek language says you have legally passed judgment over these people with your evil thoughts. And what he means, James says, basically, you have judged these people in an evil way, saying that for whatever reason, this rich man is more valuable. His life is worth more because he has more stuff. How contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ is that? You see, to say that one life is is more precious, is more valuable, is worth more than another because of some material thing. Let me be really clear when I say this. All lives matter. All of them. They're all precious in His sight. Old people, young people, white people, black people, rich people, poor people. Jesus died for humanity. And He loves everyone and He's made a way for people of of any race or status or whatever label you want to put on them to come to God through faith in Himself. Now, I I take a little flack about this sometimes. Sometimes I get in trouble. And I'm just going to be very transparent on some things with you as we go through James. James says, confess your faults one to another. So we're going to be real, real as we go through this. I take a little flack sometimes for not talking to enough people, especially on Sunday morning. But what I think what it is, I get in trouble for not talking to the right people. I'm just being honest with you. But here's what happens. It's like I shared a while back about being a chaplain. And I said, what we, we do naturally, right, is to go where it stinks the most. We go to the people that obviously need God and need something the most. And so when I come in on a Sunday morning... And maybe somebody new walks through our doors or maybe there's somebody that comes in that's been here a long time and it's obvious that they just need somebody to talk to. That's where I'm headed. Now, I apologize if that pulls me away from maybe some folks that's been here a long time. But listen, I think this is something that we as a church need to put into practice. Because we don't always know what's going on in somebody's life. And the, the five minutes that you could take talking to somebody could change their entire week. Could change their life. 
So James says, don't show favoritism. And I think why is because Jesus didn't, did he? Who did Jesus go to the most? He went to those who were hurting, those who were sick. He went to people that were sinners, people that were demon-possessed. And he told the Pharisees, it's the sick that need the doctor. So I think that's where we need to go. The second thing James commands us to do is to be rich in faith. Verses 5 through 7, he says, God has chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith. And what this means is that when God looks at a life, God is not impressed by the things that we are so often impressed by. I think about this sometimes. What if Jesus came into our church service? I think, first of all, he'd say, wow, things have changed a lot in the past 2,000 years. But I think, secondly, he wouldn't be impressed by someone that comes in wearing expensive clothes or driving a fancy car or has all these titles. I mean, they, they live for this kind of stuff. Even the Jewish folks live for that inheritance. And to translate it into day, today's terms, you could inherit all the stocks or all the bank accounts or all the properties that you want to, but the greatest inheritance ever known, James says, is coming to those who love God and are rich in faith towards Him. It's coming to the, the kingdom. And, and it's amazing that James, again, echoes the very teaching of Jesus. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, what did He say? A lot of things, but he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What happens? For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. If you think you have anything to offer in this life that's going to get you into the kingdom of heaven or get you closer to the kingdom of heaven, other than Jesus, you're wrong. You want to get there through faith alone and Christ alone and even the richest the most powerful, think about the richest, most, most powerful, prominent person on the face of planet earth today. Even that person at some point in their life must become poor in spirit. In other words, become broken over their sin and humbly turn to Jesus in faith in order to inherit the kingdom of God. And that's true for every single one of us. See, what happens with the gospel is the gospel levels the playing field for every single man and woman in the world. It makes us all equal. All sinners who need a Savior's grace. But James says, you, brothers and sisters, you have insulted the poor. Now, I'm going to contextualize this again. And I honestly feel like First Baptist Church does a pretty good job in this area. Church, you make me very proud every single day of the week. I'm honored to be your pastor. But I think we can do even better than this. Let's not show 
favoritism. And I've heard, again, I'm going to be very transparent. I've heard so many people say, Preacher, I thought First Baptist Church was the snobby church. You ever heard somebody say something like that? It hurts. Stings, doesn't it? He said, Pastor, I thought that was the church where the rich folks in, in Barberville went. Or I thought that was the church for the stuck-up people. And I'm, I'm just sharing what I've heard. I'm not trying to beat us up. But here's what often follows that now. Pastor, I thought this was that kind of church, but I was wrong. There's some good people at First Baptist Church of Barberville. Let's keep it that way. And let's be the church that just loves people the way that Jesus loves people and not worry about status, not worry about titles and all that stuff. Just focus on being rich in faith. The third thing James tells us, verses 8 through 11, so important, that is to avoid even small failures. Again, James agrees with Jesus on the importance of fulfilling the law by loving your neighbor as yourself. He says, church, if you're doing this, if you're loving the na- your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. He says, you may not have any big faults. You may not be a murderer. You may not be an adulterer. But if you show favoritism, something that seems so small, then you're guilty of breaking God's entire law. If you're doing something, you may not even be aware that you're doing it because it seems so minuscule. He says, then you are inadvertently breaking one of the two greatest commandments, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, James is hitting us pretty hard right here. Because it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy to look at somebody else's big problems, right? And think, wow, I'm really glad I'm not like that person. It's easy to see that, that, that plank in somebody else's eye and forget how devastating that speck in your own eye can be. And James would say, man, man, that's just as sinful as the big thing that somebody else has got going on. When Jesus, I love this story, when Jesus stopped the Pharisees from stoning a woman to death who was caught in adultery, they, they, they come to Jesus, they bring this woman that's been caught in sin. She's guilty as guilty can be, Right? And they bring him to her to him kind of to test him and to make sure that he understood the law. And they say, what, what should we do about this woman? Should we stone her to death? And the Bible says Jesus didn't respond. He just simply got down on the ground and he started writing some stuff in the dirt. And it says a minute or two later, he gets up and he says what? Let the one among you with no sin cast the first stone. That's all he's saying. And then he gets back down in the dirt and starts writing something else. Now, the Bible doesn't say what Jesus wrote. I've always wondered about this. I thought about what did did Jesus write? The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says that they started walking off at that point, starting with the oldest to the youngest, till eventually the only people left was Jesus, who had no sin, and this woman that desperately needed Jesus. And I've wondered, this is not Scripture, this is just... Tyler's brain, I've often wondered, could it be, perhaps, maybe, that when Jesus got down in the dirt, first he lists out their names. He looks around and he says, well, there's Nicodemus, there's John and Zebedee, and he starts listing all these names. He says, let them one among you without sin cast the first stone. And maybe, I wonder, did he get back down and start listing their sins in the dirt? He surely knew them, and maybe it wasn't adultery, Maybe it was greed. Maybe it was gluttony. Maybe it was lust. Maybe it was favoritism or bitterness, hatred. 
We don't know, but I think the point James is trying to get us to, to see is that we can't get caught in the trap of thinking that our little problem, our failure, our, as we like to say, our little thorn in the flesh is not really a big deal. James tells us, and he told us a couple weeks ago, if you let that little thing take root in your heart and in your life, eventually, if you don't squash it and you allow it to live, it's going to grow, it's going to fester, it's going to give birth to sin, and it will absolutely wreak havoc over everything in your life. So avoid the small failures, honestly, because there is no such thing. The last thing, and James leaves us with a positive here. He says, live by the law of freedom. Verses 12 and 13. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged, not by the law of Moses, but by the law of freedom. Or another way to say that is by the law that gives freedom. So what law gives freedom? Paul said, man, the law produced death in me. So what law brings freedom? Well, James and Jesus, Paul, they would always say, I'll say it's the law of love. The law that says love God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, there's freedom if you live that way. We would be so much happier and spiritually healthier and more effective as a church if we just did those two things. Love God with everything in us and love our neighbor as ourself. When you... Get this right. When you learn how to live lovingly, you then become an extension of God's love for other people. You see, if you love people, if truly love them, not just say you love them. Hey, I love you, brother. <laughs> no, you don't. If you really love them, then you're going to avoid judgment. You're going to avoid criticism. You're going to avoid favoritism. You are going to be more like God and show them mercy and grace. And the promise Jesus again gave on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, I think James is just echoing, it makes you wonder. I've got questions when I get to heaven. James, were you there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. James also tells us here, church, that the opposite of that is true as well. That if you withhold mercy, then your judgment will be without mercy. So what is mercy? We often mix up grace and mercy. Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve, like eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mercy is not receiving something that you do deserve. You see, we, because of our sin, again, every single one of us, regardless of our status or our wealth, every single one of us, because of our sinfulness, deserves death and condemnation from God. But God has chosen to give us, one, what we don't deserve, but He's also chosen not to give us what we do deserve. He has bestowed upon us mercy by putting all of our punishment on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many is thankful for God's mercy? My goodness. And His grace. One person. Amen. There's going to be people that fail you. And I'm not, again, trying to paint a, 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 a bad picture of people. It's just, it's life. People are going to let you down. People are going to hurt you. There may be people that have really, really hurt you before. There may be, let's be real, there may be people on this side of the room that have hurt people on this side of the room, and we have not shown mercy. 
God's word, listen carefully, says, unless you want less mercy, you better show some mercy. If you love your neighbor, as Jesus says we have to, as James says we have to, as the entire word says we have to, you're going to have to extend mercy and grace at many points throughout this life. James says, in conclusion, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And it's a confusing way to wrap that up. But I think what James is saying is that a life lived this way, a life lived extending the very mercy that God has poured upon you will diffuse any possibility of you receiving a stricter judgment and experiencing less mercy. We've covered a lot of ground this morning. And a lot of it's got a little bite to it, doesn't it? So I want to wrap it up. Here's the key takeaways that I want to leave you with this morning. One is how are you doing with favoritism? In other words, are you able to love people just because they're people? Are you able to see people through God's eyes and realize that they're just as precious in the sight of the Lord as anybody else, regardless of what they have to offer? Second thing is, are you proud of who you are? And I mean that in a negative way. Are you proud of yourself to the point that it's easy for you to look down on certain people because of who they are and who you think you are? If so, let's repent from that. Thirdly, are you showing mercy to those that don't deserve it? If you show mercy only to people that deserve mercy, then that's not really mercy. Are you showing grace and mercy to people that don't deserve it and maybe can't pay you back for it? Last thing and most important thing is maybe you're here this morning and you are the one that needs the mercy. Not from somebody else, not from somebody in this room, but you need mercy from God the Father who loves you and and wants to save your soul and you realize that because of your sin against Him, you need grace and mercy this morning. Guess what? If you'll ask for it, He'll give it to you. Stand together as we pray this morning. Father, once again, your word cuts us deep. God, I know that a lot of this is tough to hear. It's tough to to hear the truth about what some folks have said about even our church. It might offend us. It might hurt our feelings. But God, I pray that as we've turned to your word this morning, and James has told us so many things that we need to do, and so many things that we need to not do, if we're to be like Jesus. Lord, it's my prayer that we would take this, as James said last week, and not only hear it, not only be cut by it, but we would follow up and we'd actually put it into practice. We'd do it. We'd be obedient to what your word says, that we would love people. As we turn to your table this morning, Lord, we're reminded that we do that because you've loved us. That we were the ones who did not deserve mercy, 
didn't deserve grace. We didn't deserve your love. We certainly didn't deserve the blood of your son. Lord, in spite of all that, the Bible says that you sent him to come and to die for us. And that if we would do something so simple as believe in him, we could have eternal life. Help us to love people that way. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's never experienced your love in their life and they need to be saved, it's my prayer this morning that they'd make that awesome decision. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning as we sing a song of invitation, and God has dealt with you in some way. If you need to come and pray, if you need to go and talk to somebody else and pray with them, by all means do that. This altar is open. If there's a decision you need to share this morning, whether it's uh, to be saved or to be baptized or church membership or whatever the case may be, why don't you come this morning as we sing. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.